We've all been to school before at some point in our lives. Have you ever taken a test you weren't prepared to, to, to take? How easy did you find it, beloved? Not easy at all. You know, uh, some, some, some teachers are, are so nice that recognizing that the students are unprepared, they tend to give us what's known as an open book test. Isn't that right? The difficulty about an open book test, beloved, is if you don't know where in the book to turn, you're still in trouble. Isn't that right? So while the teacher is seeking to meet you where you are and trying to help you out, uh, if time is not spent preparing, doing what? Preparing for the test, then when the test comes, it finds us unprepared, and can we pass that way? Absolutely not. Beloved, in these last days, I believe we're living in the last days. Do you believe that? No, you don't believe that. We believe that the pandemic in which we're living is something like we've seen before. Is that true? We believe that the generation in which we live is just like every generation before that. No, beloved, as you're looking around, the signs are clear. Do you know Jesus said that when a man looks at the trees and he sees the leaves falling, the man isn't guessing whether it's summer, winter, or fall. What, what season is that? Fall. Do you know that Jesus said in the same way, Matthew chapter 24, he said in the same way that you can see the signs of the times, of the seasons, you and I should be able to recognize the signs of the times and to know when his coming is near. Beloved, as I'm looking at COVID-19, as I'm looking at social unrest, as I'm looking at uh, 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 mandations from our government, respectfully, I want you to understand that we're not living in any ordinary time. We're living in a time where God is seeking to prepare a people. Do you remember what we read in John 14? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. And we saw in that text in John chapter 14 that Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. So then preparing a place, is that about chiseling out streets of gold, beloved? No. Jesus said at the very moment he said that, in my Father's house are many mansions. So Jesus has not been in heaven for over 1,990 years seeking to make sure that all the gold is in place. That's not what he's doing. He has been seeking to make sure that you and I fit in to the kingdom we profess to be a part of. God is seeking to make law-abiding citizens of you and I. We've been talking about the law, beloved, bit by bit. And I don't know if, it's, if, if, if we're recognizing yet that in the law of God, God is not seeking legalism from you and I. Somebody who's been listening, what type of religion is God seeking? Heart religion, the religion of the heart. Do you know the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There are many of us in this room in fact, everyone in this room has some sort of issue in your life. Whether it's good or it's bad, we've all got issues. Isn't that right? The Bible says that the way you get a hold of those issues, the way you master those issues, the way that you come out victorious in those issues, God has to get a hold of the heart. And so again, we're talking about preparing. Doing what? I want to show you something in the book of uh, Proverbs. Go in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Preparing a people to stand, that is the object of God's heart in our generation. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, beginning at verse 13. Are we there? The Bible says, the slothful man. What type of man? That, that's a lazy man. The slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be what? Slain in the streets. The Bible says that there is a type of person in these last days that can see danger. You see a lion coming, and rather than making preparation, you see the danger coming, and you know what the Bible says you say? There is a lion in the streets, I shall be slain. Now, beloved, is that intelligent? If I saw a lion in the streets, well, first and foremost, if I saw a lion in the street, God forbid, I would probably... Is that intelligent? I wouldn't want to alert the lion to where I am. Would you, would you want to do that? Somebody says, no, I've been watching Animal Planet. I love lions, Brother Paul. Well, you're going to have to wait for the new earth because, you see, lions are dangerous outside of God's control. Isn't that right? You've read the story of Daniel and the lions. Let me tell you something, beloved. If I can wait until I get to heaven to meet a lion that closely, I will wait. Amen? The Bible says that there's a type of person that sees the lion, and rather than hiding himself, rather than preparing himself for the danger, he yells, there's a lion in the streets, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be slain there. In Proverbs chapter 26, it speaks about that same exact man. I believe that anytime Jesus repeats something, he wants us to really get what it is that he's saying. Proverbs 26 and verse 13. The Bible says again, the slothful man. What type of man? The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. Reading the text, I can just imagine that the man is getting even more loud now. Not only have you seen the danger and decided that you're going to die, but you've seen the danger and you're alerting everyone around you to the fact that we are in danger. Beloved, in 2021, is this world in danger? Is this world in trouble? Is it enough to know that? Or does God want to prepare us to do something about it? Think about it. In the book of Genesis, there was a man by the name of Noah. Are we familiar with this man? And God warned Noah that though this world had never seen rain before at that time, a what was coming? A flood. Do you know that if you were living in the days of Noah, listening to a sermon from Noah, Noah would be telling you that the impossible was possible. The very thing you said that you've never seen before, God says it's getting ready to take place in a few short months to a few short years. And the majority of the people in Noah's days, guess what they thought of Noah? They thought that he had uh, a few screws loose. They thought that he was crazy. He was out of his mind. What Noah was saying didn't uh, coincide with science. It, it simply did not make sense according to human reasoning. Did that stop Noah from preaching? Did that stop Noah from preparing? No, beloved. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. This is what the Bible says, and I believe Noah was such a man. In the book of Proverbs 22, beginning at verse 3, the Bible says, a prudent man. What sort of man? That is a wise man. It says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and does what? Hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The Bible says that in the same way, a slothful, a lazy man can see danger coming and say it and make no preparation. 
There's another class of people that the Bible calls prudent. The Bible calls them wise. And the Bible says they see the same evil, but rather than simply declaring it, they also make ample preparation. Those words, he he sees the evil and he hides himself, that means he made preparation. Question, in the days of Noah, when he preached that a flood was coming, would it be ample preparation for Noah to have bought a thousand horses? Can a thousand horses get you through the flood? No. Now somebody says, Brother Paul, I thought all the animals got on the ark. That's not the point that I was getting to. That is true. But the point is, it took an ark. It took a what? An ark. If Noah had gotten himself, just just follow me, if Noah had gotten himself 2,000 Ferraris, would that tell you he believed the flood was coming? A Ferrari can't get you through the flood. Now, the Ferrari's a nice car, isn't that right? But the point is, God needs to get us to understand what it's going to take to make it through what we have been saying is before us. The entire world is sitting here and they're watching, and it is not until an ark is built that people begin to think a flood is coming. If you and I don't believe what we profess to believe, do you know the world is watching that and they know it? You say that Jesus is getting ready to come, and yet your life looks no different from mine. You say that God loves you, and yet the same things that I do, you do. You say you have a savior from sin, but the very sins that I'm struggling with, I see that God has no power to save you, the Christian, from. The world is watching, and God is preparing a people to stand. Now, I'm thankful that anything God decides to prepare is going to come to pass. The Bible says that God declares the end from the beginning. Do you know that the very fact that God has his hand on you, anything God touches, let me say the text again so that when I say it, you'll get it. The Bible says that God declares the end from the... God's beginning any work is evidence that he has already finished it. The very fact that God has us in this room and is working on our hearts right now is evidence that if we would surrender, he cannot fail to finish what he has begun. The Bible says that Christ is faithful and he is able and he will perform the work that he has begun in you and I. Do you know that if we just surrender, love could never fail with us? Somebody says, I know that God is preparing a people, but there's a little too much baggage in my specific case. Can God really deal with that? Do you know that there's not a testimony in this room that God is not accounted for? that God doesn't include in his holy book, that God is not seeking to build and to refine and to make you a living testimony before other people. I was was talking with a very special brother today, Sister Ashley and I, and as we were talking with the brother, I explained to him that, you know, uh, God is working with us. We're all works in progress. Isn't that so? It's too quiet. Is there anyone in this room that has arrived yet? We are all works in progress. But the fact that the work is going on testifies that God's intention is to finish that work. Isn't that a wonderful thought? To know that you're coming to church and you're studying the Bible and it's not in vain. God actually intends to make of you what you profess to believe. God is preparing a people, my friends. Preparing a people to stand. Now, the Bible gives us the question of the ages. That's what I call it. It is the question of the ages from the days of Adam to the days of Noah 
to the days of Moses and Joseph and all of these other people, there has been one question that all throughout the generations has been asked. In the book of Revelation in chapter 6, the Bible says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, beloved, and to the rocks. Now, hold on for a second, Brother Paul. These people are talking to rocks? These people are talking to mountains? Do you remember in the book of Exodus, there was a man by the name of Moses. What was his name? And God instructed Moses that if Moses would but speak, God instructed Moses that if Moses would but speak to the rock, God would provide water for Israel. Beloved, do you know that Jesus represents that spiritual rock? It is Jesus. When we come to Jesus, he says, ye have not, because what? You ask not. He says, ask and you shall receive. Whenever we come to Jesus, we can be sure that what we're asking, if it is according to the will of God, God intends to do what? Grant it. But here, at the end of time and at the second coming of Jesus, there is this other class of people that are speaking to mountains and rocks too late. These are not people that are looking to Christ. These are people that are literally speaking to rocks. Have any of you in this room ever done that? I pray that we know the rocks won't speak back. Amen? The point that I'm making, separation from God, beloved, separation from Jesus at the end of time is going to put man in such a mental state that he doesn't know up from down. We're seeing it happen even now. The Bible says that men's hearts would be failing them for fear, looking upon the things that are coming upon this world. There are men today who might have been of sound mind in 2018, but when you talk to them about COVID-19, beloved, it's as though they weren't family members. They're upset with your decision. Whether you choose to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, it's as though it's impossible to come to a middle ground and respect our choice in the matter. People are losing their minds, beloved, because they lack the peace that Jesus promised. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible said, Thou will keep him in what? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust in Jesus is evidenced by peace. And this generation, if it has taught us nothing in the last two years, it is that there are many who claim peace with God. And we don't have it yet. Speaking to the rocks, beloved. It says, and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and do what? Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Is a lamb scary, beloved? 
Not according to these people. Is a lamb scary? That's not a scary... Now, I understand uh, even the slothful man in the book of Proverbs, had, he, he was scared of the lion. I can understand that. I can understand if you were afraid of a tiger or a bear or, 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 or a leopard. Some of you may be understanding what I'm saying little by little. I can understand if you were afraid of those things. But to be afraid of a lamb? Who is the lamb of God, beloved? John 1.29. Jesus. These are people who are afraid of this lamb, not because the lamb himself is scary or dangerous to them. They never took the time to get to know that lamb. I'm thankful that we're taking the time even now, beloved. They said, hide us from the face of the lamb, uh, from, the, from him that sitteth on the throne, and hide us from the wrath of the lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to what? Beloved, that is the question of the ages. When Jesus finally comes, nobody in here is going to be wondering uh, what time they're going to clock in tomorrow morning. Did you know that? Nobody is going to be wondering what Brother Paul thinks about the situation. There will be one question on our hearts, and that is who shall be able to stand? Do we want to know the answer to that question tonight? Here's a better question. Do we want to be among those by the grace of God, who are able to stand at that time. Jesus can prepare us. Who shall be able to stand? In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, I'm going to give you a, a, a quick biblical answer to that question. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible speaks of this very special number, this very special group of people, now, some of you in here, you're familiar with uh, military history. Amen? If I asked you who the army was, would you know who that was? If I asked you who the Marines were, would you know who they were? What about the Navy? National Guard? We're familiar with these people. Do you know that when, when times of war are going on and the Marines show up on foreign lands, that does not mean anything good for the enemy? They know when they see the Marines coming in that that means trouble. Do you know that in times of war for the United States, when the army shows up and the enemy sees the army, they know this means no good for us. They are in trouble. Isn't that right? When the uh, uh, National Guard shows up, trouble. When the Air Force shows up, trouble. But do you know that even in the United States, when the Navy SEALs show up, it's a very different thing. When the Marines show up, there's trouble. When the Army shows up, there's trouble. When the Navy SEALs show up, beloved, it is over. Am I telling the truth? When the Marines show up, that's bad. Now we, now we have a fight in our hands. The Air Force shows up, well, they had the land advantage. Now they're fighting us from the sky. We better take cover. But when the Navy SEALs show up, beloved, it is over. The Bible speaks of a people in the book of Revelation chapter 14 who have the same effect on Satan's kingdom as do the Navy SEALs upon the United States enemies. God is preparing a very special team. What is he preparing? A special team. Do you know that there are countless Christians who are in the grave right now? Countless Christians. Men and women who believed in God, who have lost their lives for the faith. Many uh, women and children who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. History tells you they were fed to lions. 
They were fed to bears. They were tarred and feathered, and all types of atrocities, beloved, have happened to people because of their faith in Jesus. But you and I are living in a generation where God is getting ready to turn on the light. What did I say? Do you remember in Genesis when God said, let there be what? And there was? If you were to read in your Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 18, I hope you're taking notes because I'm just, I'm kind of I'm dropping hints here. We're going to cover all of this by the grace of God. In the book of Revelation chapter 18, God speaks of another angel that comes down from heaven and the entire earth, though darkened before, is illuminated with the knowledge of God's glory. The entire world, beloved, it is known as the loud cry angel of Revelation and chapter 18. I believe that God is preparing that special team from Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1 to do that special work in our generation. And when they show up, Satan knows it doesn't mean trouble. That's not what it meant. Let me tell you something. When Martin Luther showed up, the devil trembled. That was trouble. When John Calvin showed up, the devil trembled. That was trouble. And various Protestant reformers, our brethren, who have been in the grave for years, beloved, Satan knows they were trouble. When this group that we're getting ready to study shows up, Satan knows it's not trouble. Guess what it means? It is over. Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb. A what, beloved? Is this the same lamb that the wicked were telling the rocks in the caves to fall on them and to hide them from? Same Jesus. It says, I looked and lo, a lamb did what? Stood. The Bible says that John was looking in prophetic vision and he saw a lamb and the lamb was doing what? Standing. I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him an hundred forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now the other night we talked about the third angel's message in Revelation 14 verses 9 through 12. And we saw that those who receive the mark of the beast are not only going to have it in their hand, but they're going to have it in their what? foreheads. The Bible says in Revelation 14 and verse 1 that there's another set of people that are going to have something known as the Father's name in their foreheads. Are you seeing a contrast? There are those who have the mark of the beast, and then there are those who have the Father's name. There are those who have the Father's name, and there are those who have the mark of the beast. So if we're asking ourselves tonight which group we want to be in, what would your answer be? That sister's giving away answers before we've gotten there, Sister Ashley. My sister said the seals. She says rather than receiving the mark of beast, she would rather have something that the Bible calls the seal of God. Did you know that in these last days, there are two marking identifying marks? There are two marks in this final generation that are getting ready to be seen all across the world. One is called the mark of the beast. The other is called the seal of God. One represents antagonism and rebellion against the government of God, and the other is for that special team that God is going to use 
to bring back our soon-coming Savior. Now, the Bible said of these people that a lamb was with them, and he stood on the Mount Zion. So then, in fact, the question, who shall be able to stand, has a very simple answer. According to Revelation 14 and verse 1, the only person who will stand is the lamb and those who are with him. Amen? Who shall be able to stand? It is the Lamb and those that are with Him. Those who receive the mark of the beast are getting ready to hide from that same Lamb. But the 144,000 have a close, intimate, personal relationship with that Lamb. So if He lives, they must live also. If He stands, they must stand also. They, as a matter of fact, let me tell, let the Bible tell it. In verse 4, the Bible says, speaking of these men and women, it says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, and these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Do you want to follow Jesus wherever he goes? If Jesus walks into your kitchen, do you want to follow him there? Somebody says, I don't know, Brother Paul, it depends what Jesus says about what's in my kitchen. If Jesus walks into your home today, do you want to follow him there? Beloved, I believe that God is interested in every aspect of our lives. That there is nothing he takes away that he doesn't replace with something better. But in order to prepare a people to stand, we have to begin the process today of following Jesus wherever he goes. Whenever Jesus calls, we must say, here am I. Send me. I remember when I was younger, so I know from experience, it's very easy, beloved, and I'm still very young, amen? It is very easy for the Lord to put a call upon your life and for you to sit there and to kind of wait for someone else to do the same thing. Lord, I know that you're calling me to do this, but that brother over there speaks very eloquently. He might be better. The Lord didn't ask you if you had eloquence. Do you remember when Moses had that problem? Moses says, you want me to go and free these people from Egypt in the book of Exodus? Moses says, Lord, I have a speech impediment. When I talk, I don't think I can. The Lord says, all right, I'm going to give you a helper. I'll send your brother Aaron with you. But was God able to teach Moses how to speak if he had trusted the Lord? Do you know that when you're weak, God is what? When you're unable, what is he? So then everything you need, you don't need from another man. You need it from who? Jesus. We can trust him, beloved. Now, I have a couple of notes. Uh, those of you who have the handout, by show of hands, do we have the handout? We don't have the handout yet? All right. There's a handout, and we'll make sure that you have it by the end of the meeting. In the handout, there's a description that goes through that special number of the 144,000, and it begins to tell you certain things about them so that you can know what it is to be prepared in that number. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, the Bible said that these are they which are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Some, some of us husbands are in here saying, Brother Paul, I'm a father. How can I be in that number? The Bible says that God's people are likened unto a comely and delicate woman. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2. So whenever you're talking about women in Bible prophecy, you're actually talking about a church. You're talking about those who profess faith in Christ. Amen? So the women spoken about here in this text, the Bible is not saying you can't be in the 144,000 because you have a wife and you have children. That's not what it's saying. But there's a group of women spoken about in the book of Revelation chapter 17. And when we get there, you're going to see that the 144,000 have to be preserved from any fornication 
with those women. We're going to see that in further studies. What is the answer to who shall be able to stand? The Lamb and those who are what? With Him. Now on our screen we have a, a father and his daughter. And the father is using his hands to keep his daughter from what? From falling. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says something very serious for us this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Do you know that when the Bible asks the question, who shall be able to stand, it was never God's intention for you and I to think we could stand on our own. It was never God's intention for us to think that. It would be the same as this young woman saying that she is standing by her own strength. Now, if the father were to just, you know, remove his hands and briefly step aside, what would happen to the young girl? Do you think that in her falling, she would recognize that it was never her strength? Sometimes God allows us to hit the ground, not because he wants to see us uh, hurt, but it's because he wants us to awaken to our condition. Beloved, we are to be entirely dependent. We're to be what? On the righteousness of Christ. The moment we begin to think that we can do anything in and of ourselves, the Bible says that our righteousness are as filthy rags. There is none among us that do righteousness on our own. There is none among us that stand on our own. But the Bible says in Jude and verse 24 that Jesus is able, just as this Father is able, to keep us from falling. The name of the subject this evening was preparing a people to do what? Yes, to stand. Can a man stand and fall at the same time. Somebody said yes? Now, maybe if you're in outer space, that might be possible. But so long as gravity is working on this world, if a man is falling, is he standing? No. And if a man is standing, is he falling? They're literally opposites. So when the Bible speaks about preparing a people to stand, God is preparing a people who by His grace are no longer falling. Is there enough power in the blood of Jesus to do that? Do you know there are many Christians today who will sing the song, but we don't believe it in our hearts. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There is power in the? Power in the? Would you over evil a victory win? There is wonderful power where? How can we preach the cross and not see that there is victory to be had in that same Jesus. Preparing a people to stand, it, it completely centers in keeping them from falling. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was called the fall of man. That's right, my sister. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was called the fall of man. The plan of redemption ends not with a church that is falling, beloved, but with a church that stands with the Lamb on top of Mount Zion, that 140 and 4,000, a special number, beloved. I believe that God is preparing some of us in this room. Yea, I will say, even by the grace of God, God is seeking to prepare all of us in this room to have a place in that special number. Is that your desire? 
Somebody says, no, Brother Paul, I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. I'd rather, I'd, rather be, uh, 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 I'd rather be in the Army. Now, is there anything wrong with being in the Army if you're military? In a military mind, no. There's nothing wrong with you being in the military. But God wants us to get to a place in our experience, spiritually, where we don't want to just give God the leftovers of our lives. We want to give him the best of what we have right now. The very best. There was a song that my mother used to sing to me when I was younger, and it, it went something like, Give of your best to the Master. Give of the strength of your youth. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle for truth. Beloved, we're living in a time where God is seeking to make every one of us in this room his special operatives. He's seeking to make us what? His special operatives. In the book of Psalms, the Bible gives us more insight. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Somebody says, ah, I caught you, Brother Paul. Legalist. Do you know that if we study the law and fail to see the lawgiver, legalist is exactly what we become. But when we study the law which was given by the lawgiver, I told you, the way we treat the gift tells us what? How we feel about the giver. Jesus said, if you love me, you would do what? Keep my commandments. So commandment keeping does not center in legalism, beloved. It could never work that way. God desires the religion of the heart. I asked you uh, the other night, and I'll ask you again. If a man walked into this room right now, my sisters, and gave you some flowers, all right? And you took the flower... Would that man leave the room feeling that you had any uh, sense of love or affection for him? No, because the way that you treat the gift tells you what you think about who? The giver. In the same way, the fact that there is a law giver tells us that we should consider the way that we look upon the law that he has given. Beloved, I believe that righteousness is by faith through Jesus and Jesus alone. I believe that true righteousness is the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not even the faith of myself, because I don't have that to give. But Jesus is able to give me the faith of Jesus so that the works that were worked in the life of Christ by his grace are the works that are manifested in my life. This is what it means to study the law and to find in it a delight. The Bible says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, it shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand. In the conga, uh, rather, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So if God is preparing a people to stand, he's not preparing us to remain sinners, is he? He's preparing us to stand in the congregation of the righteous. 
What is righteousness? Righteousness? According to Psalms chapter 119 and verse 172 is the doing of God's commandments. Now question. How many of us can keep God's law in our own power? So then how many of us have righteousness in and of ourselves? Somebody says, Brother Paul, you're being very repetitive. Yes, on purpose. You see, repetition deepens the impression. I don't want us leaving here thinking that we can stand in our own power. I don't want us leaving thinking we can be righteous of our own effort. I want us to know that we are entirely dependent upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, But of him are you in Christ Jesus. Who did the Father put us in? Christ Jesus. Who of God, speaking of Christ, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. So the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, that God has taken Christ and made him to be yours and my righteousness. Is that Bible? Is Christ your righteousness tonight? Yes, Christ is your righteousness. So when we're talking about preparing a people to stand, preparing a people to be righteous, we're talking about preparing a people who have that relationship with Christ. Do you know that relationships with one another will change you? There are some of you who have known each other for so many years, and before you know it, you begin to look like each other. You begin to talk like each other. There are foods that you didn't like before your wife cooked it for you, and all of a sudden, this thing is good. Beloved, listen, time with anyone will change you and make you more alike than you were before. Should I tell them the story about photosynthesis? I have a friend back in New York. And I remember my sister was talking to me about uh, the need for health reform in my life. The Bible says that God's desire is that our health should prosper at the same time our souls are prospering. Do you know God cares about our health? Yes, he does. He made the body. He cares. Um, and she was telling me that, you know, there are wonderful healing properties if you begin to eat foods in their more natural and raw form. And, I, I, you know, I didn't want to argue with my sister. I said, you know, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I'll try it. She says, all right. My sister went home, and she picked up some kale from her garden. Raw kale, beloved. Now, I remember as she put the kale in my hand, I took it, gratefully. And I took a bite. And I gave it back. I believe the kale is good for me. Amen? The issue at the moment was that it did not taste good for me. The Bible says that God is good, and it says that we must taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you know that when we fail to give people a taste of what true heaven is like, that it spoils for them the understanding of prophecy? It spoils for them the blessed hope of a returning Savior? If Jesus can't be good to me right now in my situation... Why should I be looking forward to the future when he shows up? The angel said it would be this same Jesus. So if he's not 
tasting good for me today, if the experience I have with him does not taste good today, how can I hope for a better experience at that time? Beloved, I tell you, when I took a bite of that kale, I imagined in my mind that I had tasted photosynthesis. There is a way that things ought to be prepared, amen? Now, I didn't mention the name of my sister because I love my sister, by the grace of God, and there have been, uh, uh, there have been significant changes, better changes, praise God, since then. God is seeking to prepare our lives in such a way. Some of us, you know, when Christians uh, come across people in the world, they think of us in the same way that I once thought about that raw kale. But do you know that since then, I've been in contact with people, close friends and family, that have given me raw kale, prepared in a specific way? And when I taste that raw kale, beloved, that thing is good. That thing is good. It's all about proper preparation. What is it about? And we're talking about preparing a people to stand. Now, in John 14 and verse 15, the Bible said, If you love me, you would keep my commandments. We saw in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 that Christ is our righteousness. Therefore, we must conclude that right doing or righteousness is the fruit of a relationship with Christ. You don't do good things to become friends with Jesus. Christ's friendship with you is demonstrated in the good things that you do. There's nothing we can do to earn friendship with Jesus. Do we believe that? There is nothing we can do to earn eternal life. But once Jesus is a friend, and I believe that Jesus takes the first step, once Jesus is a close, intimate, and personal friend, the result is that there is transforming power in the life. We're in our final 12 minutes, beloved. I'm praying that at the end of this study, you guys get the notes. Because what we're about to touch on right now is a, is a matter of serious confusion out there in the Christian world today. There are many Christians who don't understand what we're getting ready to see from the Word of God. But by the grace of God, as you and I begin to see for ourselves, we will be able to do what? Share with them. Do we want to share with the world? Are we comfortable merely receiving? Do you know a man that receives and receives and receives and never gives is a man that has too much? It begins to weigh you down. I remember uh, we were in Alabama doing a, a series of meetings with some very close friends, and I was out there in nature, and you know, I, there's this special tree that I always go to, and I'll sit on the bench, and I'll watch the water, and the Lord always talks to me in a special way right there. I have my Bible open, I'm praying, I'm listening to hymns, and, and I'm sitting there, and I saw a pine cone on the ground. And the pine cone was so damp, you could tell that it was just soaked up in the water that was around it. I picked up the pine cone, and I tossed it into the river just like that. Do you know what happened to the pine cone? Immediately. The pine cone was so heavily weighed down by its environment, by the things that it had soaked up, that it went immediately down to the water, right to the bottom. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, that's interesting. I've never seen a pine cone do that. And God is touching my heart, and he's letting me know, Paul, you are that pine cone. For years I've been calling you, touching on your heart. You have sat down and heard Bible studies, sermons from various ministers. You've asked your questions. You've received your answers. You've been prayed for. 
by your mother, by your grandmother, by your father, by your siblings. All of that. And what have you done with it, Paul? Has it weighed you down? A man that only takes and never gives, a man that receives from God but never learns to share the blessings with others will be like that pine cone and will sink to the bottom of the river. And as I was watching the pine cone, tears came to my eyes, beloved. I'll be very honest with you. I began to cry. And I'm sitting here and I'm saying, Lord, how can this be? I'm sharing Bible studies in Alabama right now. Why are you telling me this? I'm preaching. Wouldn't I be in the perfect heart condition if I'm preaching, Lord? The Lord says, no. Don't mistake your preaching for my reach in your heart. A man can stand from where I am right now and preach, and Jesus is still trying to reach. Do you know that as I'm listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth, I'm also receiving them? So I'm sitting there and I'm crying. I said, Lord, if that is my spiritual condition, what can you do with me? What what good is it? I should close my Bible and not share with the people. What, What good is it? The Lord says, turn around and look at another pine cone. And so I turned my attention off of what had sunk to another pine cone that was dry and on the floor. And I picked up the pine cone and I'm looking at it and the Lord is saying, weigh it. It, It's lighter, Lord. He says, yes. That's because what I have sent to it, it has used. I said, all right, Lord, it's it's dry, it's not damp, it's not weighed down. He says, cast it on the water in the same way you did the other one. So I did exactly what he says. Do you know that same pine cone began to float down the river? The Lord was sharing with me that even if our hearts have become so hardened that we sink to the bottom like the original pine cone, if we would but let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus, if we would just allow him to create in us a new heart and renew a right spirit within you and I, God's desire is not that we sink, but that we float. Now, if a pine cone is floating, it goes from one man to the next man, doesn't it? That you can share. God is desiring to bring us to a place where we are no longer just uh, 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 statues in the pews, but we are disciples in our generation. We are reaching out to others as Christ has reached out to us in our generation. Do you know that that is God's desire for you tonight? On our screen, beloved, we have only an earthly depiction of what that glorious day is going to look like. In our last study, I introduced you to Revelation's big three. Revelations what? The first, the second, and the third angel's message. Do we remember the first angel said something very interesting to us? He said, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. The first angel's message, the gospel he brings, does not preach of a coming judgment, but a very present judgment, a judgment that God is seeking to prepare you and I for, guess when? Tonight. Now, by show of hands, do any of us in this room know when the judgment of God is to take place? Is there anyone in this room who cares? when the judgment of God is to take place. 
on our screen, beloved, we have the second coming of Jesus. Amen? Did you know that biblically there are events that are supposed to take place before the second coming, and there are events that are to take place, guess what? After the second coming of Jesus. People talk about the coming of Christ as though that's the end of the story. Now, now, now if Jesus takes us to heaven, amen, praise God, what are we doing there? Is that a good question? If I told you that we were going to go on a field trip tomorrow, that's wonderful news, depending on where we're going. But more importantly, you would want to know, what are we doing once we get there? Is that a good question? Is that a good question? Yes. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, that before the coming of Christ, Jesus is preparing a place for a people. Did we see that this week from the Bible? Jesus is preparing a place. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, turn there with me. Revelation chapter 22, speaking about the coming of Jesus, the Bible tells us something very interesting. In the book of Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 11, the Bible says, He that is unjust, let him be what? Unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be what? Filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Did you know that the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he is coming with rewards? Question. When a student takes a test, does he get the sticker on his paper after he passes or before? After. Rewards don't come before, they come when? After. Jesus says, I am coming, and at my coming, my reward is not coming, but guess what? My reward is with me. When Jesus comes, he's not coming to prepare a people, beloved. He is coming to reward a people that have already been what? Prepared. In the text before, the Bible said, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. When did God determine who was unjust? The text said, He that is holy, let him be holy still. When did he determine who would be holy? Beloved, if Jesus is coming with rewards, then what the Bible is telling us is prior to his second coming, there has to be some judgment of our lives going on. If Jesus is returning to reward us according to our works, then prior to his coming, Jesus would have to understand those works and weigh those works. What do you say? Are we following? The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14 that judgment begins at the house of God. Do you know that before God judges any wicked person, the first people he looks to are you and I. God looks at the world and he sees the, 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 um, the social unrest, the riot, the bloodshed, the wickedness, the sin. He sees all of these things. And as he's looking at the world, the first person his eyes go to is not the sinner, but it's you and I. 
Those who claim to have a risen Savior who has enough power to cleanse us from sin. Jesus says, before I judge the wicked, I must first clean my house. I must first look at my church. The Bible says that takes place before the second coming because at the second coming, he comes not to prepare a people, but to reward a people that are already prepared. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, that both judgment and reward begin with the dead saints. Did you know that before any of us leave this planet, there's going to be a a resurrection of God's faithful people? That when God's people are resurrected at the second coming of Jesus, the Bible says you and I, if we're alive, we will not prevent them. That means you and I will not go first, but rather our uncles and our aunts, our fathers, and our mothers, our husbands, and our wives who have been in the grave believing Christ, they would be caught up into the air to meet with God, and then we after would be caught up to meet with them. God is going to reward his people in order. First the dead, and then the living. At the second coming of Jesus, there's a resurrection of the saints according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 that at the coming of Christ, the wicked are destroyed with the brightness of his coming. The Bible says that after all these things, the saints go with Jesus to New Jerusalem. But my question is, after the second coming of Jesus, does anything else take place according to the Bible? Now, if you've never studied this before, you're probably thinking to yourself, Brother Paul, this is a lot. Amen? I'm going to remind us that there are handouts with everything written down, this entire chart written down for us to go home and to study for ourselves. I told you on the first night, and I'm going to tell you again tonight, never believe what I say just because I say it. Hear what I say. Consider what I say, but always take it back to your Bible. Amen? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that after the coming of Christ, there is a desolation of the earth and the earth is left desolate for 1,000 years. There are Christians today who think that we're going to usher in a a, a 1,000 years of peace on our own before Jesus comes. Beloved, we've been trying for years to, 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 to gain peace. We're separated by political parties. We're separated by religious beliefs. We're separated by race and all these different things. Can we have peace on this earth without Jesus? Not possible. The 1,000 years is not a period of peace that takes place before the coming of Christ. It is only possible when Jesus has come and taken his people. And if you study your Bible, you'll see that that peace is not on earth. That peace is, guess where? In heaven. The Bible says in Revelation that judgment during that time is given to the saints during this period. The Bible says that the second resurrection of the wicked will take place at the end of the thousand years. And the Bible says that at the end of our story, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Beloved, are we tired of this world yet? Are we tired of the sickness? of the suffering, and of the death. Beloved, I want you to know this evening that there is a better country. There is a better what? Whose builder and maker is God. 
And God is preparing a people even this evening for a place in that kingdom. Is it your desire to go there? Are you yet in the condition to enter? Neither am I. But Jesus is preparing a people. Do you believe he has his hand on you? I believe he does. I believe he has his hand on me and on my wife. And as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. By show of hands, are there any in this room who believe that Christ can get that done? I'm going to ask you a question that requires even more bravery. Are there any in this room who desire Jesus to get that done? Pastor Rob has a few cards here. They say Jesus on prophecy. You may or may not have them yet. The the deacons are coming even now. Beloved, every time that God touches our hearts, there is a decision to be made. There is a what? A decision to be made. Now, if there's one thing that I've learned uh, following the harvest principle, it's that you cannot rush a tomato before a tomato is ready to be harvested. Is that right? Is there anything that I can do to, 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 to speed up the process of bringing a tomato into the world? The only thing I can do is water and accept the sunshine of the, of the righteousness of Christ. Now, on your cards, beloved, in the first box it says, I understand that salvation is a free gift. That means we can't earn it. It is a free gift from God through faith in Christ that I cannot earn. I can only depend on his righteousness for salvation. Do we believe that? I would invite you to check that box. The next box says, Tonight, I would like to accept Jesus as my Savior, to ask him to forgive my sins, to live in my heart and transform my life. Some of us may be saying, Brother Paul, I've already done that. Is there anything wrong with renewing our conviction to the Lord this evening? I would invite you to check the box. Number three, It says, I once knew Jesus, but I fell away. It is my decision to surrender my heart to him again tonight and to let him be the Lord of my life. I would invite us to check that box. I am interested in baptism or re-baptism. Did you know that baptism is a a critical part of the uh, Gospel Commission? That it's not just for us to believe what the Word of God says. We actually have to follow Jesus into the experience step by step. Box number five is my favorite. It says, I would like info on how to have a living relationship with Jesus. Do we, wanna, do we want information on how to have a living relationship with Jesus? How many of us uh, often study the Bible on our own at home? I can tell just from the reactions and, and, and what I'm hearing as I'm, as I'm asking you questions. Beloved, if we're interested in personal Bible study to understand better, there's provision for that. If we're interested in going into the pool of baptism to follow the Lord, to follow the Lamb, wheresoever He goes, there's provision for that. We have not because we ask not. In your hands is a card and an opportunity, a what? An opportunity to ask.